Long History, The Second Voyage of Christopher Columbus Part 6 The Most Prosperous and Wealthy Sovereigns in the World Hello and welcome to Long History. We've reached the final part of the second voyage of Christopher Columbus. This is actually the second of four journeys by Columbus. We've already serialised the first one in a series we call The Journal of the First Voyage of Christopher Columbus. We've also got lots of first-hand accounts of journeys by lots of famous explorers here on Long History, including some of the most historic journeys ever by Magellan, Vasco da Gama and Columbus. We've got over 250 episodes now of Long History, so don't forget to subscribe to be informed of future episodes, but also if you want to explore the episodes you've already released. I'm sure they're available on your podcast provider, but they're also all available together on longhistory.net. That's long history, all one word. Now, one of the main aims of this second journey by Christopher Columbus was to reach the settlement that he'd left of 39 men on Hispaniola on his previous voyage. In the previous episode, he finally reached that settlement, or perhaps it's best to say he finally reached the remains of that settlement. And by all accounts, all 39 men have died in the months that Columbus left them on the island of Hispaniola. Various reasons were given for their deaths by the local people, including disease and an invasion by an enemy group, and all of these reasons have neatly excluded Guacamari from any of the blame for these deaths. Columbus and the Europeans are suspicious, but there are no clear answers to be found, and they want to set up a settlement in the area, so need to have the local people on side. This episode is the final part of the document written by Dr. Chanka, who was a surgeon who took part in this voyage. And in this section, we hear about the Spaniards' continuing search for a site for a settlement on Hispaniola, followed by a description of the area. This is the second voyage of Christopher Columbus, part 6. The most prosperous and wealthy sovereigns in the world. We did not find the position of the land in this port favourable for healthy habitation, and the Admiral resolved upon returning along the upper coast by which we had come from Spain, because we had tidings of gold in that direction. But the weather was so adverse that it cost more labour to sail 30 leagues in a backward direction than the whole voyage from Spain. So that, what with the contrary wind and the length of the passage, Three months had elapsed when we landed. It pleased God, however, that through the check upon our progress caused by contrary winds, we succeeded in finding the best and most suitable spot that we could have selected for a settlement, where there was an excellent harbour and abundance of fish, an article of which we stand in great need from the scarcity of meat. The fish caught here are very singular, and more wholesome than those of Spain. The climate does not allow the fish to be kept from one day to another, for it is hot and moist, so that all animal food spoils very quickly. The land is very rich for all purposes. Near the harbour there are two rivers, one large and another of moderate breadth somewhat near it. The water is of a very remarkable quality. On the bank of it is being built a city called Marta, one side of which is bounded by the water, with a ravine of cleft rock, so that at that part there is no need of fortification. 
The other half is girt with a plantation of trees so thick that a rabbit could scarcely pass through it, and so green that fire will never be able to burn it. A channel has been commenced for a branch of the river, which the managers say they will lead through the middle of the settlement and will place on it gristmills and sawmills and mills of other kinds, requiring to be worked by water. Great quantities of vegetables have been planted, which certainly attain a more luxuriant growth here in eight days than they would in Spain in twenty. We are frequently visited by numbers of Indians, among whom are some of their caciques or chiefs, and many women. They all come loaded with agues, which are like turnips, very excellent for food, which we dressed in various ways. This food was so nutritious as to prove a great support to all of us after the privations we endured when at sea, which were more severe than ever were suffered by man. For as we could not tell what weather it would please God to send us on our voyage, we were obliged to limit ourselves most rigorously with regard to food, in order that, at all events, we might at least have the means of supporting life. This agay the Caribbees called nabi, and the Indians hage. The Indians barter gold, provisions and everything they bring with them for tips of lacings, beads and pins and pieces of porringers and dishes. They all, as I have said, go naked as they were born, except the women of this island, who have their private parts covered, some with a covering of cotton, which they bind round their hips, while others use grass and leaves of trees. When they wish to adorn themselves, both men and women paint themselves, some black, others white and various colours, in so many devices that the effect is very laughable. They shave some parts of their heads, and in others wear long tufts of matted hair, which have an indescribably ridiculous appearance. In short, whatever would be looked upon in our country as characteristic of a madman, is here regarded by the highest of the Indians as a mark of distinction. In our present position, we are in the neighbourhood of many mines of gold, not one of which, we are told, is more than twenty or twenty-five leagues off. The Indians say that some of them are in Niti, in the possession of Kaunabo, who killed the Christians. The others are in another place called Sibao, which, if it please God, we shall see with our eyes before many days are over. Indeed, we shall go there at once, but that we have so many things to provide that we are not equal to it at present. One third of our people have fallen sick within the last four or five days, which I think has principally arisen from the toil and privations of the journey. Another cause has been the variableness of the climate, but I hope in our Lord that all will be restored to health. My idea of this people is that if we could converse with them, they would all become converted, for they do whatever they see us do, making genuflections before the altars at the Ave Maria and the other parts of the devotional service, and making the sign of the cross. They all say that they wish to be Christians, although in truth they are idolaters, for in their houses they have many kinds of figures. When asked what such a figure was, they would reply, it is a thing of Touré, by which they mean of heaven. I made a pretense of throwing them on the fire, which grieved them so that they began to weep, 
They believe that everything we bring comes from heaven, and therefore call it Ture, which, as I have already said, means heaven in their language. The first day that I went on shore to sleep was the Lord's Day. The little time that we have spent on land has been so much occupied in seeking for a fitting spot for the settlement, and in providing necessaries, that we have had little opportunity of becoming acquainted with the products of the soil. Yet, although the time has been so short, many marvellous things have been seen. We have met with trees bearing wool, of a sufficiently fine quality, according to the opinion of those who are acquainted with the art, to be woven into good cloth. There are so many of these trees that we might load the caravels with wool, although it is troublesome to collect, for the trees are very thorny, but some means may be found of overcoming this difficulty. There are also cotton trees, perennials, as large as peach trees, which produce cotton in the greatest abundance. We found trees producing wax as good both in colour and smell as beeswax, and equally useful for burning. Indeed, there is no great difference between them. There are vast numbers of trees which yield surprisingly fine turpentine. And there is also a great abundance of tragacanth, also very good. We found other trees which I think bear nutmegs, because the bark tastes and smells like that spice, but at present there is no fruit on them. I saw one root of ginger which an Indian wore hanging round his neck. There are also aloes, not like those which we have hitherto seen in Spain, but no doubt they are one of the species used by us doctors. A sort of cinnamon also has been found, but... To tell the truth, it is not so fine as that with which we are already acquainted in Spain. I do not know whether this arises from ignorance of the proper season to gather it, or whether the soil does not produce better. We have also seen some lemon-coloured mirobolans. At this season they are all lying under the trees, and have a bitter flavour arising, I think, from the rottenness occasioned by the moisture of the ground but the taste of such parts as have remained sound is that of the genuine mirobolan. There is also very good mastic. None of the natives of these islands, as far as we have yet seen, possess any iron. They have, however, many tools, such as axes and adzes made of stone, which are so handsome and well finished that it is wonderful how they contrive to make them without the use of iron. Their food consists of bread, made of the roots of a vegetable, which is between a tree and a vegetable, and the age, which I have already described as being like the turnip and very good food. They use, to season it, a spice called agi, which they also eat with fish, and such birds as they can catch of the many kinds which abound in the island. They have, besides, a kind of grain like hazelnuts, very good to eat. They eat all the snakes and lizards and spiders and worms that they find upon the ground. So that, to my fancy, their bestiality is greater than that of any beast upon the face of the earth. The Admiral had at one time determined to leave the search for the mines until he had first dispatched the ships which were to return to Spain, on account of the great sickness which had prevailed among the men but afterwards he resolved upon sending two bands under the command of two captains, 
the one to Sibau and the other to Niti, where, as I have already said, Kaunabor lived. These parties went, one of them returning on the 20th and the other on the 21st of January. The party that went to Sibau saw gold in so many places as to seem almost incredible, for in truth they found it in more than 50 streamlets and rivers, as well as upon their banks, so that, the captain said, they had only to seek throughout that province and they would find as much as they wished. He brought specimens from the different parts, namely, from the sand of the rivers and small springs. It is thought that by digging it will be found in greater pieces, for the Indians neither know how to dig nor have the means of digging more than a hand's depth. The other captain, who went to Niti, returned also with news of a great quantity of gold in three or four places, of which he likewise brought specimens. Thus, surely, their highnesses, the king and queen, may henceforth regard themselves as the most prosperous and wealthy sovereigns in the world. Never yet since the creation has such a thing been seen or read of, for, on the return of the ships from their next voyage, they will be able to carry back such a quantity of gold as will fill with amazement all who hear of it. Here, I think I shall do well to break off my narrative. I think those who do not know me who hear these things may consider me prolix, and a man who has exaggerated somewhat, but God is my witness that I have not exceeded by one tittle the bounds of truth. So the settlement of Navidad was found, and explanations of sorts were given as to what had happened to the men in that settlement. However, Dr. Chanka here clearly shows the true purpose of this voyage. Although the news of the first European settlement on Hispaniola has all been bad, this does not appear to deter Columbus and his men at all. They had been more or less forced to set up that settlement in that area due to a shipwreck. Now they have time to look for a better place to settle, apparently in a place called Isabel, further to the east on the coast of northern Hispaniola. We can see here the very earliest stages of colonization and settlement of the land, with Dr. Chanka finishing his letter with an account of the wealth of the land and, by extrapolation, of the wealth of the king and queen of Spain, reminding us that this voyage as much as anything was a search for products, and particularly a search for gold. So that was the final episode of the second voyage of Christopher Columbus, an account written by this surgeon known as Dr. Chanka. Thank you for listening everyone. Don't forget as always that there's lots to explore on Long History. With over 250 episodes available now, either on your podcast provider or on longhistory.net. Please, if you can, do like the episode before you move on and share it in any way you can to help promote Long History. Thank you for that. And thank you for listening. This was The Second Voyage of Christopher Columbus, Part 6, The Most Prosperous and Wealthy Sovereigns in the World. Goodbye.